Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast, formerly known as A Dying Podcast. It's been a while since uh, we released an episode on this podcast. I'm happy to be back. Uh, my name is Nils, and today we're recording in my living room with kind of a new setup. So audio-wise, we don't know how it's going to be. <laughs> Hopefully it's fine. And I'm not alone here today. I'm here with my friend Jan Artem Henriksson. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Nils. It's good to finally have you here. It's been... We've tried a couple of times, <laughs> but the universe didn't want us to do Life this. happens. Yeah. Uh, we're finally here. Um, and I've known you for a while. I'm, I'm deeply impressed by both you as a human being and the work that you're doing. You're the, the co-founder of Self Leaders and Relate. Um, and people listening might not know what that is and might not know who you are. So how about we start there? Who, who are you? What is currently sort of driving you, attracting you, leading your path in life? And uh, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess we are all born into different challenges. And I was born into a space of opposites in many ways uh, between two very different fathers with different values and worldviews in between two very different countries. Uh, Sweden being one of the most feminine cultures in the world, very soft. And I was born in Soviet Union. Uh, it's not the softest place. <laughs> uh, it's very masculine values, lots of honor, strength, and, uh, and trying to navigate that complexity and being aware of what's happening and trying to make my own choices in those contexts uh, has been a challenge. And in order to navigate that, in order to keep relationship to the people that I love, I had to find tools, both intellectual tools, models, perspectives, but also internal tools growing in my way of making sense of the world in order to, to live a healthy and holistic life, or at least attempt to. Uh, so that has been my journey. And quite early on, I, I studied psychology and economics. Uh, we went to the same school. And, and I realized that the leadership development in uh, business and economics is on a quite low level. They're, they're not really speaking to the psychologists. You know, <laughs> the psychologists, they don't really want to speak to the business world because they are all about profit. And that's bad. You know, if you're a psychologist, that's really bad. So I was trying to integrate those two worlds because I was used to that and I was studying both uh, subjects. So I started a course called Self-Leadership at Stockholm School of Economics. And out of that, uh, a company uh, was born named Self-Leaders uh, that I started together with Dick and Dominic von Martens, two McKinsey consultants. And we have put around more than 60,000 people through the different educational programs uh, over the last decade. And we're still working quite closely with big organizations and cultural transformation and self-development. So, so that has been my first baby, you could say, or like my passion. Um, the second one was Relate. And basically myself navigating the world quite well after a while, I would say at least in, in my professional life, but being quite miserable <laughs> in my private life <laughs> uh, and, and not really getting the, the dating. I mean, I, I got the dating to work, that, that worked for sure, but, but not really being able to settle with any, any single person and, and also realizing like, my God, Tinder sucks, you know, it's so superficial and it's just, there's so many challenges. 
And I started to look at the industry and realize that it's so broken. I mean, it doesn't drive human connection. It doesn't drive development. It drives us in the opposite direction, just like a lot of the social media and, and stuff. So together with Philippe Jonsson-Jarl, we founded Relate. And then we got Tim Brandin quite early on into, into the team. And we started to create a conscious uh, dating app, you could say, for people who want to meet based on values, talk about deeper stuff, and actually have a better chance of having a relationship that works in the long run. And now the out of that, we actually tomorrow we're releasing a new product. Yeah, so it's uh, going to be it's going to be out when you hear this. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's Relate Boost, and it's uh, for couples. Uh, so it's uh, we've been working very closely with some of the best therapists, couple therapists in Sweden and researchers. And there will be different boosts, some, some very simple and some very deep for couples to better understand each other, to, to work in a more intimate way uh, with the relationship. And also understanding, and for me, it was also a big step of realizing that we, we can't just grow alone. You know, we, we need our relationships in our organization societies, but also the most intimate ones. And I really hope that that can contribute to many people's well-being but also on a societal level to less polarization because how we tackle differences in our relationship will largely influence how we tackle differences in the society and the world. Hmm. So obviously for anyone listening, check that app out. I will definitely have it on my phone when you hear this. That brings us into a perspective that, that I find very interesting and relevant and, and fascinating, which is sort of where we are as humanity today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the challenges we have at hand where we feel or believe that we're headed and also this um, that you're um, touching on this relationship between us as one entire humanity and then down to this personal little life that I have and the relationships that I have and how I act and what I perceive and all of those aspects I, I tend to look at it as that we are all cells in this one huge organism and the work we do as cells obviously will impact the entire organism. Mm. But, from, but from there, where I think this is also always an interesting question for me, at least to, to find out what your view is on where, where would you say that we are today mm. <laughs> as humanity? Yeah. What, what's going on? Yeah. And first of all, Nils, just giving you credit that, I mean, that, that metaphor that you just used of us being cells to this big organism, it's a very mature way of viewing the world. And I mean, I, I'm guessing that's why you want to share some of the thoughts and inspiration with others because that's not the, where most people are and that's not where, where the world is. And uh, just yesterday I was a small gathering with Friedrich Reinfeldt, uh, foreign prime minister in Sweden for those uh, international. Uh, and basically it's a worrisome place where we are finding ourselves in the world now, both with the geopolitics in the world and the states backing off and what is happening then. But also, I mean, this dilemma that the social media and the algorithm are actually driving more and more polarization. And of course, we need to regulate and work with that on a systemic level. But there is also an individual place here for, for growth, for tackling those, this brave new world differently, growing into integrating opposites and not polarizing them even more. And we can't put all the responsibility on the individual. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I, I think that there is a space where we can be very aware of what is happening. And 
I would say see this talk as a tribute and a rap to the conscious communities around the world, the people who are trying to see themselves as conscious or trying to be conscious. And there is a step forward in that, but there are also some pitfalls and challenges that I would really like to talk to. And I mean, and everything I speak about today, it's not like I'm beyond this. I'm, I'm struggling with all these things, probably more than most of you are listening. So, so I'm not free of any of this, but uh, I would like us to reflect a little bit on like, especially your listeners, the burners, the, the people from the, who meditate, who, who try to reflect on the state of the world. Like, how are we doing and how can we do even better collectively? That's, um, I, I love that. Uh, and, and let's explore that. And my take on it is, I, I think I share a similar view here is that we always carry a shadow side. And we do that as individuals. We do that as a collective humanity in every community, in every nation, in every group, and in every person, there's, there's always a shadow side. And when, when we change and when we go the, through these transformations in life and we experience growth or maturing or whatever we want to call it, we experience that we sort of maybe understand things better, maybe we have a better, more in touch with ourselves, our emotions, we're better at communicating with others and, and things are sort of flowing better every time we go through a transformation like this. Um, we'll never be done. There's always going to be a shadow side. And, and from what I'm seeing is that there seems to be a, a pattern in the societal development that we notice a problem and then we try to solve that problem uh, and without understanding until much later that the solution itself will bring more problems and by the sheer fact that the shadow side will remain unless we've actually worked through the shadow side. I think social media is a good example that initially it's this initiative to connect the entire world and all of a sudden we can find inspiration and information and make friends with people all over the world. So from that perspective, it would be this, you know, fantastic peace initiative almost. <laughs> but then the shadow side is there and, you know, the platforms themselves are part of this capitalistic system and they need to make money. So they're built to, to optimize for that. And then obviously all of the individual users of social media, we bring our shadow sites onto the platforms and they become even more visible in a way. So one aspect would be, you know, to say that when these things happen, it's an opportunity to see the work we need to do. Sure. Um, and obviously we need to understand that what we're doing now, when we're saying that's a problem <laughs> and what's the solution? Well, we all, we have to become conscious and we have to meditate and we have to do this inner work and all of these things. There's a shadow side there. Sure. sure. So, so yeah, go ahead. What, what are you seeing? What are you sensing? No, and for, for all those interested in the social media dilemmas, I mean, the social dilemma, Tristan Harris, our dear friend and burner, uh, just released a movie on Netflix, and I think everybody should see yes, it. Yes, watch it. You have to see it. <laughs> but ju just like, I mean, so basically it's a system that we're starting to become aware of it and how it affects us. And let's talk a little bit about the conscious communities. And, I, and when I'm saying about conscious communities, I, I, I've spent some time in Goa, in Copenhagen, in Bali, but also the conscious communities here in Stockholm, some co-living spaces, uh, meditation centers, and so on. And we're very much part of those communities. And the community also, th that has aspirations, at least, of, uh, 
I mean, so basically what happens, and this is, you, you can map this into individual development if we use, I've been working a lot with Robert Keegan from Harvard, a professor there, and his uh, levels of development, when we see the current system, I mean, we start to see also the shadows of it, like our society, and there is so much focus on work and status and all these power games and too much dopamine, you know, we're just like trying to reach the goals and new goals and then we never get the satisfaction. And of course, we start to withdraw from that and say, look, look, this is strange. I don't want to be part of that and I don't want to burn out or I have burned out and like, what's an alternative? And of course, in every time we do this shift, we turn against that. Mm. Uh, or away from that. And we become a little bit almost counter-dependent. So it will, if it was too much dopamine, it will be, okay, let's do oxy- oxytocin, you know? And we overdo that and we forget about the good parts of the dopamine, like or when working with ourselves. But also just like what Keegan says is like, there is an opportunity to take a step uh, vertically upwards, like in hierarchical understanding of the world, sense-making, but also how you navigate. But for most people, and also the conscious community, it's just a step sideways. It's not really that we're understanding the world on a higher level. It's just that we are becoming sometimes at least just uh, the opposite of what is there. Mm. And my talk and wish for for us to explore here is basically those of us who share the values of presence and transformation and maybe acceptance or kindness, compassion, and like, how can we use and live those values without withdrawing from the complexities of the world and the societies. Because what I see a lot is like, I'm a strong promoter for all those values and personal development. But what scares me, and, and this is a true dilemma that I'm sitting with, is that when I look at the conscious communities and people who have spent months and sometimes years on personal development and inner growth, Many of them live live very small lives or they isolate themselves more and more and more and are not part in the uh, societal issues or organizational challenges. Some are, but many of us limit us more and more and we do not contribute with those values that are of the highest importance right now in the challenges globally that we're facing. And my, my inquiry here in this talk is like, how can we bring that with us and still be in the world, but without sacrificing our well-being? I'm not saying that you should sacrifice yourself for the greater good. I'm saying is like, could there be a way not to step sideways, but to step a little bit maybe up in our development in a vertical sense so that we can feel more meaning, more engagement in the world of today? Mm. This is interesting. It, it, what comes up for me are a few sort of both my personal experiences and what I've been seeing. So the only data point here is my own <laughs> reflections. Um, but in my own journey, I've really experienced this uh, as when I started to sort of quote unquote wake up or whatever you want to call it. There are so many ways to describe this, but uh, become more conscious of uh, myself and the world around me. What happened within me was literally that, that I, I, I took a step away from everything that I had been chasing and all of those identities I've been dressing myself in. And I became very much of that counter, like yeah. no to that. And then instead I became a burner and you know meditation and sound healer, shaman, all of these <laughs> things. Uh, and what I've been experiencing lately is that I'm being called back into 
uh, what you know I looked at as darkness or shadow. You know, this is this was not truth. This was not what yeah. what I was here to do, and I'm I'm being pulled back into it. Mm-hmm. And I agree with what you're saying that there's something to understanding that we have to embrace all of it. You can't sort of choose or say this side is better than the other. It's, we have, I mean, the, the, the tensions, the the frictions, the challenges we see in a global society of humanity is, it's merely a reflection of my own inner tensions. So, but, yeah, but, but I mean, we need to withdraw from the system, at least for a while, in order to grow, to see it in, and to find the opposite. But we stop in our development if we do not pendle back yeah. into it. Uh, so that, and just to illustrate this, uh, I'm going to share a quite painful example, actually. I've, I've been at the board of Eocardit Foundation for soon eight years. I've been doing like one day a week pro bono for them. And now I've been working more and more also with projects at Stockholm School of Economics and the Karolinska Institute. Just for people who might not know what E-Credit is, just briefly. Uh, so E-Credit Foundation is founded by Thomas Björkman, and the, the vision is to link the personal development with societal development. We have an island in the archipelago. There are some gatherings both for youth, just to explore the big questions, but also from my part, I've been working with thought leader gatherings. So we've been gathering the brightest minds in the world from Harvard, from MIT, uh, from London University, and now we're doing digital conferences under the name MindShift also. So you can check out uh, SSC slash MindShift or, or HOHOS in Swedish, Hans <laughs> School uh, slash MindShift. Uh, so there, there is a lot of stuff cooking there, but one of the projects that I, I would really like to point attention to here in this pod is uh, Thomas Bjorkman was also part in creating a co-living community in Stockholm. And we had this idea from the part of foundation that if we have a community where like people just meditate and there are different uh, people from different tracks of life and different uh, places in the world, it will stimulate development. And that's what we want from the foundation. We want to uh, foster human development. So let's try this out. And maybe even it can also be environmentally smart. So we said like, let's lower the living area by by half i mean so you you would live in half the square meters that you usually do but like double the amount of meaning and happiness so let's try that out and we got also some financing from vinova we actually got 10 million kroners almost a million euro uh to to do research on that community and it was very interesting and very disappointing uh, because what we saw that people who moved into that community and just lived with other conscious uh, burners, entrepreneurs, whoever. There, there's a lots of meditation. There's an openness to psychedelic experiences. Uh, there is lots of this TED Talks, workshops, you know, all, all the stuff that you see in, on Burning Man and many other uh, communities. But the researchers could not see that people actually grew. I mean, we tried to measure, and human growth is hard to measure, of course, but we, we gathered people from the Karolinska Institute, Centrum for Social Sustainability, and Stockholm University, some of the best and brightest scientists. We put together questionnaires with like 300 questions. And we thought that just by being there, that people would experience growth. And the interesting thing is that people loved it. It was rich experience. It, it's very stimulating, mm-hmm. but we couldn't see any human growth, except for the people who were randomized, you could apply for a program in self-leadership. 
And then there was a lottery and half the people got it, got the place there and half did not. But everybody was part in the study. And also in order to make good science, we needed actually to have a control group. So we had people going who had the course, but not living at K9 and people who not living at K9 uh, and did not have the course. So we, we looked at how can we create human growth? And there we found that it's actually some inner work that is different from just meditation or experience a higher state of consciousness that drives it. Uh, there was different types of interventions needed. And if you want, we could talk a little bit upon like, well, what yeah, I'm, I'm, that makes me super curious. And before we go into that, I see a similar, maybe not trend, but a similar pattern mm. in, for instance, the burner community. So I've been, I've been sort of lucky to be part of that community for more than six years now mm. and gone to many burns yeah. uh, around the world. And my journey there has been deeply transformational for me personally. That's been my experience. It's it's led me onto this path, and it's 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 provided me with a platform uh, where I've very much experienced that I've been growing and maturing and, and understanding new things and making um, major changes and shifts in my life. And then six years into the experience, I've really started noticing that that's not the case for everybody. No. That once again, I, I think we should stress it. This is not about uh, pointing fingers or blaming anyone or saying I'm so great because I'm developing here. It's just very interesting to try to understand what is needed yes. for people to actually go through transformation. Because the burner uh, experience is a rich experience is. for more or less 100% of the participants. Yet for some, it seems to just stay as that. It's a rich experience. It's a party. It's, you know, it's expressive. It's fun it's potentially now i'm guessing here there's no data to back this up but to ten, poten, potentially also if you look at the use of um, entheogens psychedelics plant medicine mm. in the world i also sense a similar pattern yeah. that for some people it becomes a tool of deep transformation mm. where you connect fully with your shadow sides and you work through it and mm. all of these things uh, and while for others it's it's almost as an escape. It's yeah. you know you get a break from your daily life, and mm. it's just you go into the la la land, and you have this rich experience once again. Yeah. But th that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bringing that developmental yeah. sort of value. So so let's look into this. And again, speaking from the inside, I mean, we met both of us at Burning Man also yeah. the last time. We're, we're in it. <laughs> so, we're part of it. <laughs> and, and I would like to introduce like two thoughts before we go into the actual interventions. Mm -hmm. I mean, my purpose is integrating opposites. That's what, what I cooked it down to just two words. And opposites is, of course, both states. I mean, we can be in, in different states, but then also not just the state matters. It's also our story. Our, our ego matters and how we, how we construct our ego. We, we can't really function without any or at all without an ego maybe some saints can but i don't know i haven't seen anybody without an ego yet yeah i don't think life. it's actually doable no. to function but, but, as a but, living but, human but, being but let's 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 not go that, not that rabbit here. hole but, <laughs> but just saying that there is there is a tension here between spirituality or being part in spirit and being very part and feeling your body mm -hmm. emotional integration but also being conscious of your story, not just like letting the stories go, because we sometimes we do too much of, and this is the spiritual bypassing, right? Yeah. We just let everything go. 
and, we, and then everything is okay. Like for a while, yes, but like, and then you get back to your life and then you meet your parents and then, you know, uh, and then life hits you. So there, we need a balance between the spirituality and integration. The second part is Robert Keegan's theory on human development that is tremendously important if we look at what is happening at Burns in the conscious communities. Because basically what he's saying is most of us are socialized into different norms. I mean, we're like the fish in the water in, all, in the culture, right? And then we start to see the water and say, wait, I'm not sure that I want to be in this lake, right? And we start to withdraw. But what Keegan says is that when we do that, we, many of us become seekers and we start seeking uh, people who are maybe even transformational in their way of being, like gurus or people who are very fluent with their relationship of the world. They see uh, themselves and life as a process, you know, and you can just like let go and deconstruct and be present and uh, surrender and everything will be okay. And many of us want to go there, but what happens is we're trying to jump a stage here. We're trying to go from socialized mind to self-transforming mind, like this transformational way of being. And Keegan says that we can't really do that because we need, we, we need to stop at a station in between that is called the self-authoring mind. And that is basically when we have a healthy relationship to our ego, where we understand who we are, we take responsibility for our story, what we do create a certain story, a purpose, we are aware of our values. And that station needs to be at least, we need to stay there for about five years, Keegan says. We can't like just fast forward or jump through it because if we do that, we might reach this very self-transcendent states, but we are very volatile and not stable there. A little push and we are back to the socialized mind or even worse, not just the socialized mind, we go back to the very impulsive way of being almost childish and either it's my way or the highway then. And you know, you're like just like a kid, you just want it your way. Or many of us go to the other, like very traumatized child way, like it doesn't matter, do whatever you want with me, you know, and you can see a lot of that in the conscious community. Also, people who go, they, they can't handle the tensions in this socialized world. There's too much like opposites and it, it is messy, you know, and what happens then is, is just you let go of your ego or your story, but not from this mature self-transcendent sense, because those who are mature in a self-transcending way, they always fall back to their own values, to their own healthy ego whenever they are in stress. And like, okay, this is my boundaries. This is, this is my principles. This is what I believe in. But people who have not built that foundation and they aspire for this very, very high stages, and then there comes some pressure or stress, what happens is that we regress and not only to the socialized mind, but also to very, very childish sometimes behaviors being, I, I told you some examples, but it can be also being pleasing, complaining about everything and saying that everything is wrong and everybody are wrong and things are not, the world should be a utopia and not the way it is. Uh, and being very, very childish in different ways and not seeing it because we have so high aspirations and also the mix of the high states, but not the high, higher levels of sense-making, mm. which is what Keegan talks about, how our storytelling with ourselves develops and grows, how our sense-making is evolving. And I don't think we should go too deep into that because that, that's a different story, but just understanding that there is this 
always these two parallel processes of our experience uh, and our experience can be very bodily or very spiritual. And then we have the sense-making process and we need to balance and integrate those two. And what I see is sometimes an imbalance in the conscious communities. And that's why I would say many times there is rich experiences, but not always growth happening for everybody. Mm. Interesting. Another aspect of it, maybe more from a, a spiritual narrative that comes up for me is, is, uh, is dualism or polarities, depend, depending on how you want to frame it. But that it's always a game of opposites. A human experience is always a game of opposites. You know, it's light and dark and good and bad and life and death and hungry and yeah. full and <laughs> all of these things. Yeah. And as long as we label things as, as, you know, good or bad, or something is better than something else, we have that risk of pushing something away. And when that happens within me, um, my experience once again is that, okay, I, I, I start seeing myself as conscious. So the, my old self and everything that represented that behavior, you know, I wanted money and I wanted fame, social status, uh, all of these things, then that became what I did not want. Yeah. That, that all of a sudden was bad. Mm -hmm. And I tried to push it away from me instead of embracing that side of me as well. Mm -hmm. And once I can sort of experience all of me and, and in a sense own that, then, then my take on it is that, well, then you, you, can, you can be in all states in a, in a, and have an understanding for everything that's going on. Obviously, that's challenging. And, and, and I would like, that was what I was going to say. Can I challenge you a little yes, bit on that? Yes, please do. Because please do. I think you took a very rough part <laughs> and a very hard part. And I'm not sure even... I mean, you, you don't know how it's going to end up for you either, because nope. like, uh, what, because here what we see is like, yes, we, we have all this judging and what you're saying is you're trying to like hold it all and like be uh, like everything. Right. Uh, and it's, it's a self-transforming way of life. And that's what I see a lot of youth, people in, in their twenties and thirties trying to take that leap. And some experience it, and we can be in that experience, sometimes even for years. But what Robert Keegan says, and I've been doing a lot of masterclasses and courses and offering that to, with him for others. He says that they do measurements on the sense-making of people. And he says, like, I'm sure there are people below 50 who are self-transforming in the sense-making. But of the thousands of people that he has met, and he's a Harvard professor, you know, he said, we never measured a person on that level who is of an age below 50. Because like you can have experiences and you can have intellectual understanding of it. But once you go into like and start poking you and saying like, Nils, when was your latest conflict? And like, how did you make sense of that conflict? And like, how did you react and so on? And then you see like, no, it's not self-transforming. You know, you have these ideas, but in an actual conflict with your parents or with somebody else, you're not acting from that level, Yeah, I, I, I would say. And, and so, so basically what I would like to bring this back to is there are a lot of other thoughts and practices that I think we need to be speaking about in the conscious community that are not as cool as this uh, non-dualistic, you yeah. know, stuff. And like, because that stuff, it will come, but it will come later. And we can find inspiration in that. But like, if we really talk about development and like being a healthy human being, like what, what do we know? I mean, let's go back to this little community, conscious community and see there were 
people who actually grew and developed there. Yeah. And so what, what happened? Why yeah, did they grow? What, what did they get? Basically, what we could see is people who clarify their personal values, who are getting very, very clear on what is important for me, why is this important, and how do I want to express and manifest that? And that's basically healthy borders. It's not saying I'm everything. It's saying, and for me, authenticity, trying to be authentic is an important value. I fail every day. When I was at the mingle with Frederick Reinfeldt yesterday, I just, when I came home, I'm like, oh my God, I haven't grown anything. You know, I'm, I'm just- <laughs> I regret. <laughs> I regress totally. I'm having this stupid conversation with somebody. I'm trying to impress them. And like, what, what am I doing? And then it's sometimes I do have beautiful, authentic, vulnerable conversations. And I feel like, yes, this is what I want. This is important. So basically being able to formulate and talk about what are the values, so like it might be creativity. Discipline is really important for me. I used to practice Kung Fu a lot and I realized how important and how I love sports that have a lot of discipline in it, like hiking or doing some water sports that are more challenging, you know, like it, it gives me a lot of energy and finding those values that you care about. And there are hundreds of ways of doing that act, acceptance, commitment training have a lot of free stuff. Self-leaders has worked a lot with that. There are so many ways of doing that. Second part is like finding your purpose. And I mean, you, you talk a lot about that. And I mean, most of us walk around like, this is the metaphor of Eric Fahrenholm that I love, like, like a piece of cake with a missing piece, you know, that there is something like once I have this relationship or once I have this or that, things will be good. And that never happens, you know, like the, the way to live your life is not to be like, hoping to be a full cake, but to be like this cake with a purpose that has a direction that is giving to somebody else. And then you will feel full and fulfilled. And like thinking about where I am today, where can, where can I do something for somebody else? Where can I start thinking about not only about myself, but like where, where do I matter? And it's many times, and this is also can be, can be painful for some to hear, but like, I mean, you matter for your family. Like those people, they might be strange and they might be dysfunctional. They all are, you know, I am at least and my family is. Um, and they might hold different values and worldviews and, and all that stuff, but they do love you and they care about you and you're important to them. And I, most people, I think, even though we're trying to disconnect and go higher up and meditate, we realize that there is lots of love and not just love from a distance. You know, I love my parents where they when. Like, how, how do we interact in those closest relationships? And also, like, now with Relate Boost that we're talking a lot about, how do I show up with my partner? Like, how is the everyday interactions there? And the purpose, not only the purpose for the bigger world, like, how do I want to show up in my everyday life? And what do I want to give to other people? It's, it's a very important question. And not trying to, like, sacrifice myself for the world, having no ego a little bit more humble in the beginning, at least like, okay, what is that? But also like having healthy boundaries and borders, both for myself, but also for others. We, we did a lot of feedback training and role playing like uh, with the community because that's how we grow and actually learning how to frame, like, I want to give you some in feedback or input, like, are you willing and why? Like, how do we have that conversation? Uh, talking about like personal observations, making suggestions or inquiry like look this is how it felt for me could we is there any other way we could do this like not saying like i want you to like you know having a curious way of interacting with your closest people 
and in a co-living community, it's very important. You know, how, how do you talk about things that are difficult to talk about? Do we just avoid them? Do we say like, oh, you know, I had this conflict and I'm just going to meditate it away. I'm, I'm just going to let it go. You know, I'm just going to surrender to it. Or like, no, wait, there was some kind of value or boundary that was passed. And I would like to talk with this person how we can function better together because that's how we practice healthy relationships. But then also, of course, we all screw up. So like, how, how can we be more self-compassionate towards ourselves? That, that's a skill that I think is quite good. We, we learn that a lot now through meditation and through, through this community. But again, it's an active practice uh, uh, and especially in the hard relationships, mm -hmm. not just like disconnecting and then just feeling unconditional love towards myself. That's easy in comparison to the self-compassion with at fam with my family at Christmas, you know? Mm. Um, mm. This is what, so what comes up for me and what you're bringing up here, you know, understanding your values better, setting boundaries, and all of these things that, that you brought up. For me, it's like being able to navigate friction. Yeah. Uh, so wherever there is friction in your experience of life. Yeah. So when I experience friction in, you know, whether it's work or family or my inner conversation with myself or wherever it is to learn how to navigate it and navigating friction is not stepping away from it saying i'm not even going to go there that's not navigating it no. <laughs> so actually knowing how to step into it sure. and and owning that process whether it is how do i communicate with you if i experience a friction in sort of the energy or the interaction between myself and you Uh, or how do I navigate friction within myself? Maybe, maybe I have this experience of shame yeah. or anger or whatever it is. There's some kind of friction. Like, how do I actually, and that, to me, that's sort of when I use the word embrace. Mm. It's you embrace it. You don't surrender and step away from it. You actually step into it. Yeah, and, and the third one that you're not mentioning also that is of huge importance, I would say. Because what happens is like in the conscious community, we become aware of our inner world. And it's beautiful, but we overdo it. I mean, the inner world gets too much attention and we forget about, like, how about how you show up at work? And how is your relationship with your manager and your colleagues there? And th there is a lot of friction there. And unfortunately, many people who go into the inner world, they start minimizing the friction in their work by withdrawing or choosing projects where there is no friction. And, you know, this for me was actually... A very conscious choice also because it's quite easy to be an independent consultant you know when you come in and you if you're like a psychologist or somebody else and you teach others how things should be theoretically but like do you have colleagues do you have people that you're actually in friction with and somebody challenged me on that and then i realized like i'm gonna really give this a try and i'm we were sometimes struggling me and dick and dominic at self-leaders But we made it for 10 years, like, you know, 11 years we were having a company and we had employees and, and all this stuff. And there is a lot of growth and learning there in being in that. And the second part is, you know, like what, what is happening once you become aware of your inner world and you become aware how you compromise with yourself also. What you need to learn is personal efficiency. I mean, it's very practical skills of like setting up MITs, most important tasks. Like what are the three most important tasks I want to achieve this day, this week, this month, this year. But also sometimes when your manager comes to you and says like, look, I want you to do this also. And you're like, oh, okay, look, I, I already have these three things on my list. 
if you want to add this fourth, which one of the three do you want me to let go? And either they say like, oh, you can let go of that first one. It's not that important. Do, do these three. Or they say, no, you can't let go of all of them. And then you say, like, look, I can't really do all, of, all four of them because th that would be too much. So you can choose, help me prioritize here. You know, again, healthy boundaries, both towards your managers, your colleagues, but also, I mean, nobody is the perfect manager anymore. The world is so wuka, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. So nobody can give you just enough work, like, like a perfect homework, you know, it's always going to be messy. And we need to start leading ourselves in a sense of becoming strategic, like entrepreneurs. You're an entrepreneur, you know about this, you're doing this. But like everybody listening to this, they need to also reflect on like, how do I lead myself in, a, in my work environment? How can that be a practice for human growth? How can I time box things better? Saying like, okay, I want to do this um, proposal to a client. And it's a quite small assignment. How much time is this worth? Maybe it's not its maximum worth one hour. And then I time box it. And you know that the stuff usually take the time that is available. So if I have a full day and I'm going to do a proposal, it might take a full day, but it's maybe just worth one hour. So all these small, and they're not so sexy, you know, the, the, these tools that I'm talking about, it's not like you're jumping like, yeah, I'm going to master this, but it's actually there where the human growth is. Because when we measured the people who got these tools and I went through some of them at least, we could see one year later, they had much more psychological flexibility, self-compassion, uh, joy and happiness, meaning in life, the kazam, basically how manageable your life is, went up and many other factors. And what we also could see is when we followed up, even like half a year after the course was done, they still stayed at that higher level. So it was a long-term capacity building that happened. And there are a lot of exercises like that that help us step up to the challenge more and function in the society once we realize the value of our internal world. And this is why this rap in tribute to like, hey, the people with the values of presence, transformation, compassion, once you stepped out and, and rested a bit and gathered your energy and understanding, we need to step back in again because we are the ones who can make the change that is needed. And we're not going to be able to do it by just sitting and meditating or like doing the very simple and non-messy stuff. And yes, the world is fucked up in many ways, but that's even a bigger reason why we should be in it mm. and, and be in this messiness and grow because that's also where we are going to continue to grow and finally be on that stage sometimes. And I mean, you don't need to believe it, but my sense is that that will happen when we're after 50, like in a more stable way. We can have tastes and experiences of that before, but like if we, if we really stay on the self-authoring station and we integrate there and we work with our emotions, our bodies, not avoiding them, but feeling, what does this want to say to me? I think that there is a chance of balancing this um, development and making it really long-term sustainable. Mm. This is, I mean, it's fascinating. It's, once again, dualism comes up for me as this sort of wave shape where you always have the opposites so whether the opposite is you know uh, conscious meditator or being in the gritty parts of the competitive work life yeah. as as two opposites forming a dualism being able to both sense where am i on this wave shape right now am i in, in the competitive now or the con conscious and 
wherever I am, understanding then what is my shadow? What is the opposite side of that? And understanding we need to be in both at all times. We have to, you know, it's a flow in one sense. So you, you go a bit in that direction and then you go back. So it's, you can never be constantly in one spot, but it's, it's, to me, it's about this embracing. It's also interesting the the example you bring up, this very concrete example, which I love. Uh, you've set three tasks that are prioritized yeah. and then your boss throws in a, you know, a flaming torch when <laughs> something needs to change or be prioritized. That it, it goes into the details, which I, I fully agree with, is how do you bring in what you learned so far in life and what you value so far in life into every moment, every yeah. aspect of your life? So mm-hmm. if it's that work experience and you, you've, you've done the job of like I'm prioritizing, I have my values. So first of these three tasks at hand are aligned with my values. So it's not, you know, I'm doing things that are mm-hmm. against myself to begin with. And then I prioritize and I set my boundaries, what can be done in this time frame. And then someone comes in and then I go into communication. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I honor how do I communicate my values, my priorities mm-hmm. while listening to the other person and then sort of co-creating a way forward mm-hmm. from there. There's, you know, there's so fine details in these things, but that's beautiful how concretely it becomes values, boundaries, communication yeah. in one little moment. Sure. And there's, a, there's something that comes up. I'm not sure if it's relevant or not, but in an exploration with a coaching client of mine recently, so I'm not going to obviously name any names or anything like that. So any first of, you know, any conversation like we're having now mm. is, is always a learning experience for both parties in yeah. the communication. So when I coach a client, I also learn things yes. while coaching yeah. another person. So in this moment that I shared with the client, we, we both learned something about the difference between intention and commitment. Uh, so we, this is very new in my brain as well, so, but it comes up. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, this is another opportunity mm-hmm. for me to explore this, mm-hmm. this thing where we started talking about, at least I've had the experience and this particular client also had the experience of, you know, I find myself in a moment where I'm like, yeah, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna meditate every morning. I'm gonna drink a healthy juice every morning. I'm gonna, you know, get up at 5 a.m. or whatever it is. I make these plans for myself and I turn them into commitments for myself. And that can be an amazing thing. But as with everything, there's also a shadow side to that. So in my experience, it's been that I promise, I make promises to myself and then I don't keep them. (laughs) And what happens then in my experience is that exactly as in any relationship, if I make a promise to you and then I don't keep it mm-hmm. and then I make another promise yeah. and I don't keep it, yeah. then your trust in me is going to go <laughs> sure. down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> like, this guy can't be trusted. And I do that to myself all the time. I make a promise, a commitment and I don't keep it. So my trust in myself, mm-hmm. you know, deteriorates every time I do it. And just to, just to wrap up the sentence before I hand over to you. If I instead split it between intention and commitment. So an intention is my direction. Like I, my intention is to go there. My intention is that I want to work out every day, but it's just an intention. I don't turn it into an expectation or a promise. It's like, that's where I'm headed. And then instead I pick one commitment much shorter in time that I know I will make. So, okay, let's say my intention is to get up early every morning. Mm. Now, let's get up at seven and meditate uh, for an hour, which for me is impossible because I have a child. But, but let's, you know, for the sake of argument, pretend that would be doable for me. 
I get up at seven every morning and my intention is to do it for a full week. But my first commitment is, is to do it tomorrow. And then after tomorrow, I set another commitment for the next day. Yeah. So the difference becomes instead of having a commitment for seven days and then maybe I succeed six out of seven, mm. then I've actually failed my entire commitment. Sure. I instead turn it into these micro commitments. Yeah. yeah. What what happens in you when I speak about this? No, I mean, what, what I'm thinking that you pointing to is also the very high expectations and demands that we put on, on ourselves, especially in the conscious communities. I mean, like you start re reading, you listen to all of these pods, you read all these books or you follow uh, different uh, people on YouTube and you start having all these ideas about how you would like to enhance yourself and your life. And that's where I'm saying that it can be counterproductive because it, it just creates this even further pressure. And if you had the pressure from the outside before, like with all these norms and status and like whatever you wanted to live up to, that expectations of others, which is like, like now we're having that with ourselves instead. So that's why I'm saying it's just a step sideways. It's not a step up. Uh, we, we're just changing the context and then we're just changing the norms and we have other ways of looking at people, hugging people for a long time. And that is what is expected instead. So for me, what has been helpful is this, I mean, very hard but humbling realization that development is slow and that it takes at least five years for each stage, like to, if it is to be stable and healthy, because otherwise we'll be like a tree that has grown too fast and it breaks when, when the first storm or wind comes. And I have the same thing, you know, I have an intention of working out four times each week, uh, but I, I have a commitment of doing it at least twice if I'm not sick. Like, And that works, you know, when you have moderate expectations and you work really slowly with a few things that matter and you're not overdoing the inner world. It, it mm. doesn't become your whole world, the inner world, but it's, it's a part that it's a new world. You're aware of it and you're integrating that but you're also going slow. And I think some of the ideas about integrating polarities, even myself speaking about it, I think sometimes it's just like finding where on the scale, like, do I want to lean towards? Like, what is more important than the other? And just trying to, to be gentle and keep it there for a while, you know, like, I, actually, I, I'm a bit more introverted than I realized, you know, like, mm. I should have at least a couple of evenings a week when I'm not like meeting other people. Like, I mean, just, just small stuff uh, and really integrate that without hurrying to the next thing. And also understanding that like, yes, you might become really wise or enlightened or whatever many of the people are <laughs> looking for, but there is an illusion that through personal development, we can get rid of pain. And I would yeah. like to speak a little bit to, 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 towards that. Uh, I think it could be a good idea to sum up with because again there are a lot of brilliant researchers in the human development field robert keegan and susan kukreuter are, are two of them from harvard uh, and they have interviewed people they have asked others uh, who is the most wise uh, person you know they have done uh, like susan cook sentence completion tests where you like uh, say like uh you know, like I go in conflict when, or this makes me angry, or like my father is, mm -hmm. or like the society needs more of. Uh, so there is ways of 
finding patterns in maturity by people mm-hmm. completing like completing th- 36 sentences. Robert Keegan has an interview that is done that is called subject object interview, where you ask people to talk about their latest conflict or dilemma and stuff like that. And they say, why was that hard? And then they say, aha, interesting. And why was that a problem? Mm. Uh, And so you go deeper and deeper into the sense making. And then you can quite, in quite a good manner, like with two uh, independent psychologists looking at the interview that transcribed, say where in the developmental level is this person? And then they can actually correlate this to well-being and happiness. People and seeing like, how does it look like people who are less mature and people who are more mature in this uh, way of understanding and making sense of the world. And there is one pattern that is quite consistent. First of all, people who are socialized, like playing the social games, uh, trying to win the points, uh, however you win the points, yeah. either by becoming <laughs> pleasing or very controlling or like bragging or complaining, like there are many ways to play the game. They are not very happy. They always feel shattered. They always feel that they're not good enough. They've never won the game. So. No, but they, even <laughs> if they win the game, they, they don't win the they game. They still you know? don't win it. <laughs> so so th- there is this sense of uh, dissatisfaction that is like the ro- Rolling Stone, uh, you know, yeah. uh, song like Pain Payne in Black. And, uh, and then as we find our inner world, we can become counter-dependent in, in, in a while, like for a while. And we're like struggling and redefining and like, what does this mean? But then after a while, once you're integrated in the self-authoring mind, you know your values, you have this live and let live philosophy. You're not very advanced in this, like in integrating dualism and stuff. No, not at all. You're, you're very like uh, authentic and congruent with your own way of being and living. Uh, those are the best leaders. Uh, they are good of being with other people, listening to others, understanding them. They're good with uh, setting boundaries, uh, finding ways of communicate with family members or whoever that are healthy. Like, where can we meet and how can we meet? Like, without being either like, oh, I love you so much and this is so awesome. Or like, you're shit, like, I hate you, man. Like, not going to any of those extremes, but just like being well-functioning human beings. That's the self-authoring mind. What happens later, and this is, this is interesting, where we continue to grow, and the growth there, we start becoming construct aware, we're becoming aware of how our own values are holding us, how they are also limiting us. We start deconstructing ourselves, uh, the, our surroundings, and usually it's, it's another crisis that we go through. The first crisis is like losing all the stuff that you fought for in the outer world. Yeah. Uh, the second crisis is like actually losing yourself fully. And if we come out on the other side as self-transforming individuals, and again, this is a process that takes about it five years. Takes some time. So what we can see there is that they have lower levels of happiness mm. than the people that are self-authoring. Oh, wow. So, so you, they, they have more pain, yeah. not less. Yeah. But the funny thing is that they care less about their happiness. They're much more about the meaning and their world is much bigger and they are the one who really care for other people. They, they really take time and listen. They are not afraid of conflicts. They go where, where there is messiness and they stay with that. And they truly become less about themselves and their inner worlds. It, it, it's not as important because they're quite integrated there. It's much more extroverted, but not in a sense that I figured out and I'm going to tell you, but more in a sense of linking different people's uh, 
needs systems and working systemically or even paradigmatically and linking different uh, paradigms uh, and making them function better. So they, they are less than 1% of our population that are fully integrated there. We have about 4% who have experiences or glimpses of that. And it's, it's quite a lot of people also, but they are not experiencing less pain. So there is this promise that is not really fulfilled. Oh, this is, it's interesting. There's so many aspects of this. Two things that, that comes up for me. One is, is uh, Bettina Roy's way of structuring a life experience very simplistically, uh, where she says that a human being can go through three stages. So it's just a different, you know, different way of talking about the same thing, I guess, where the first experience is uh, an external personal journey, where you come into this world and you start trying to fit in it's the external, you know, fitting into the external world. And then once you've sort of come far enough in that, then uh, an internal personal journey begins where it's more about you explore yourself. Who am I? And what are my boundaries and my values and all of these things? And if you come far enough in that, you enter a third stage, which is a being of service stage where you understand it's not even about me, which mimics what you're describing in this 1%. Mm. Um, uh, which is interesting. I, I just want to pause there because what, what happens and what I want to talk about in the conscious communities again, because that, that, that's also our listeners here many times. I mean, could you imagine that like, I mean, we have a, consci- a, a group of people who have just left this external validation g- games and then we have realized that the inner world matters and it, it, it's rich and it's important and so on. And and then we also listen to people who are wiser, older, who talk about that contribution and just like this egoless state is what is. And what is happening there? In that strange mix, we get a new norm when you're supposed to give and be selfless, uh, but it's just another game yeah. because we still haven't left the game fully. So we're just playing a different game, a step sideways. And that's what I'm, why I'm saying that it's it's so important to to realize like, okay, that there, there are many norms and many of them are helpful, but many of them are not. And where, where I'm most like critical is I see a lot of people spending lots of money and lots of time on festivals, on courses with others, where they just touch deep experience within themselves. It's almost like you put your toes in the water and then you get a lot of energy from that and then you jump out yeah. and but who are not really doing the work one-on-one because I've seen people who have put weeks and weeks of personal development in groups, but never had a psychologist or a trained therapist sit one-on-one with them and not let them escape from something that is really difficult or messy or something that is really touchy. And, you know, and not just for like, I would say like, if you haven't, if you're in that world and you haven't done 10 sessions, with a person one-on-one, try that out before you pay any additional dollar or euro for any other training. Just see what happens if you find a person that you truly trust and also that has an evidence-based training where there's actually, I mean, and of course, some of the spiritual stuff is really hard to measure and some we will never be able to measure. But there are a lot of things that we know works and help people become less, less neurotic, less um, anxious, more in touch with their core, their values, and so on. And let's try some of those therapies before we jump into all the alternative stuff. And let's see if we can help ourselves 
by being with another person who really wants to help us. And so much that he says, you know, I, I see that you don't want to talk about this. And for now, we can, I can give you a break for 10 or 15 minutes. Let's, let's let it go. But next time when you come in a week, we're going to continue yeah, because this is where the energy is. Yeah. And, you might, is. and you might be even resistant to it. And I've experienced it a lot. I've been kicking and screaming in some of my therapy sessions, you know. <laughs> but, but, but the sad part is that a lot of the, I think a lot of the people that you say in, in these communities that do not experience the development is that they only go for the experiential stuff mm. and they sometimes not, not doing the one-on-ones or therapeutical parts of the work and just getting stuck in those higher states and experiences and making sometimes with the risk of disconnecting more and more from the outer world and withdrawing even more and more. And we really need those very gentle, kind, uh, sensitive souls to do the internal work in a way that is more stable and then come back into the world yeah. and, and, and bring those values back into the workplaces, back into the communities, back into as voters, as uh, trying to see the whole systems, because th- that is what uh, I think can create this mind shift. Yeah, I agree. It brings a holistic perspective to it and, and it's, it, it really mimics what I'm seeing and, and, especially through my own personal experience that it's when I step into the pain, when I actually face it and embrace it and admit it and go through it. And I, my experience has been that I need guidance in that every time. It's very, very difficult to do it simply by yourself. And that's, those have been the most transformative experiences for me. And it's so easy to avoid that darkness, the pain, and just go for it. No, in many ways, the, the search for this higher consciousness and the spirituality, you could, you could definitely compare that to using recreational drugs for escaping. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a, it can be kind of an escapism that yeah, this sure. is so nice. We're all huggy and we're dancing and it's <laughs> light and, and like, I'm in heaven here. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I just want this to continue exactly. and not go back exactly. to my day job and my mm. family and, mm. and all of the pain points and all of the struggle. Mm. Uh, it's, it's now I'm just, I have no idea about this, but if we look historically, we tend to create new drugs, right? Like new things that, can help us escape uh, that can be when used consciously and holistically and with professional guidance they can provide immense value but when not it can become this escapism where we're actually just stepping away from pain whether that is you know no. you know drugs social media mm-hmm. nicotine gambling uh, or going to spiritual festivals and I mean, I think this is important. Norwegian Foundation and Niklas Adelbert, the founder of Klarna, I think he just donated 10 million kroners for studies on psychedelics and depression. And they do have a, a very good evidence, what I've seen, and like also from my understanding on what is happening with the psyche when there is a therapist guiding one through a session where you are not as stuck in your thoughts and you are much more available to the, the processes, the internal processes that you're feeling. Uh, what I also would like to say is, you know, uh, if we understand and respect that there is a sense maker, the storyteller, and there is this experience, these same substances can really have the opposite effect yeah. of development. Because if we use them just with music or just with like, what happens is we disconnect the two even more. Mm-hmm. 
So the sense maker and the actually experiential self are even further apart instead of trying to integrate those two. And that's what the therapists are doing. They are helping the clients to, to really work through the stuff that needs to be worked through. So I think there is huge hope in these new therapies, but I do also think that there is also a danger that a lot of people will self-medicate and try say that we say excuses that I'm doing this for my personal development or therapy or self-healing, but actually there are other reasons that we're doing this. And we all have, I mean, I, I do love to escape sometimes also, you know, in, uh, I have my ways of uh, we all uh, have them. <laughs> of doing that, and sometimes it involves a lot of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> uh, but but uh, uh, I think also just realize, and and this is where, where I think um, on the road to character is a really good book where David talks about that. You know, when when we threw out the Christian Church, we also threw out the concept of sin. Mm which is actually really important because it, it teaches us, you know, that however good or developed you think you are, you always have this very sinful, very dysfunctional ways, patterns that we all can fall into. And that's why I think it's so important to, to also be aware and embrace them and say, I mean, I'm not, I'm so socialized sometimes still, you know, and I'm just try, trying to name drop uh, people that I know or good universities or whatever to trying to to get people to listen and care more about what I'm trying to say or like and, and sometimes I get into this childish mode of controlling or micromanaging everybody who's worked with me have seen that side of myself you know and just like seeing that we're not going to be free from that we can't yeah. just because that will be a spiritual bypassing of trying to disconnect of it all and the only way forward if we are to, to avoid avoid all these messiness is that we disconnect from the world. And that's not what we need. We need those spiritual warriors to be in, in the messiness. Uh, but in order to do that, you really need to stop at the self-authoring bus, bus stop and see what are the tools, what, what are the structures. And there, again, I mean, with Relate, what we're trying to do now is we're offering it for free. We're trying to help people to become more self-authoring individually and in their relationship with the relate boost of like, how can we grow together when we're a couple and we're spending so much time together, especially nowadays, right? Uh, how can that be a platform for human growth that is real, that is not spiritual or, I mean, spiritual is not bad. We can have that also, but we need to go back also to our emotional bodies, our physical bodies and work with the whole of us. There is something to like the app relate as an example, what we just, talked about the using psychedelics plant medicine the the shadow side of, of these things to me what what comes up is that when we look at things as solutions then i think we're in deep water um i think when we look at things as process yeah. then it becomes more of a healthy thing so instead of me saying you know everybody should do ayahuasca mm. that's the solution yeah, yeah. that's not true <laughs> And, you know, there's a process where ayahuasca can be a part of the process, but you have to look at the entire process. Is this a process that takes me, mm. you know, through what I need to go through and what are the elements needed for the process to happen? It's not the ayahuasca that's the mm. solution. Mm. It's the process that I'm going through. Mm. And I might need a, a therapist, a shaman, mm. ayahuasca, mm. drumming, you know, other people yeah. or music. 
and and as always it's not one thing fits all so looking at things as process and and with your app it's the same thing right it's like the app is not the solution <laughs> it's not that you download the app and use the app no it's the app facilitates a process yeah and the process it's it's also not the solution it's the process sure but once we start looking at things like that okay i'm in this process right now this is where i'm at in this present moment my intention is to go into the future like this but i'm not there now i can't be in that future i can't be this enlightened wise person in the future i can only be who i am right here and now and this is my process so potentially there's something around that it's about creating platforms and guidance for processes rather than coming up with another magic pill that just fixes things just to respect if if there are some of my friends uh, and listeners uh, many might not even know what an ayahuasca is so <laughs> so, so so basically uh, there, there is this trend that we're seeing except for the psychedelics uh, treating depression it's also plant medicine that that you drink and what it does it actually blocks your frontal lobe so you are the default network in your brain which takes care about the ego and the the, the structuring and all these thoughts uh, it calms down for a while so you can get access much more to to the emotions to the memories that are there all the time but that we have this uh, storytelling monkey that is always disturbing judging or uh, reflecting upon so so that has become quite popular in many of the conscious communities uh, uh, of doing that and what what you what I agree totally with is like but what's the problem underneath the problem underneath is that we don't take time to integrate those experiences that matter to us we don't take time to integrate the emotions and speak about the emotions or put words on them sit with a diary and just write that's the problem and that's what needs addressing and i want to share a, a friend we went to I went to a workshop. Bill Torbert is also a very famous Harvard researcher. He wrote The Seven Le- uh, Levels of Leadership or something like that, a very popular Harvard Business Review article. And in his 70s, or he's even more, he's maybe 75, or he, he, he came out and said, you know, I've been living in open relationships all the time. And started to do workshops. He said, I couldn't do that before because like in the US, like with the... Uh, very religious, uh, <laughs> but 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 now he's doing on on relationships and on uh, eros and power. He says, you know, we have the power and we have love in everything, but we we don't speak about it. We just like put. I mean, basically, it, it's there, but we're not naming it. Mm-hmm. And he did some workshops around it and speaking about different ways of being in relationship with people and also how that is uh, in work life and so on. And one of my friends. I'm not going to name him either, <laughs> <That's not> but, <laughs> but, but he, he's, he's a very talented researcher. And he, he said, he said, you know, when I first came in touch with the concept of open relationships and Tantra, like, you know, all, all this way of life, he said, I thought it was the solution. <laughs> <laughs> I really felt it was the solution, he said. And he said, and you know, now that I've been into this for like five years or more, I start to ask the question, what was it the solution for? What was the problem I was trying to solve with that? Uh, and all of those of you who are curious about open relationship, please I'm just now take, take a moment and think like, if you think that this is a possible solution, what is the what solution is the for? I mean, what are we solving here really? And actually speaking with a very senior Tantra teacher at, at Engsbach, I, I, I did a festival there and, 
he was a philosophy teacher and then a psychotherapist and then he was, I mean, also in his 70s. And he told me, you know, he said, I, I, when I see youth, they have totally mis, misunderstood what some of the ancient teachings are. Because he says, you know, if, if you have, because he says spiritual development is a lot about when you're with a person, after a while you start a friction in between the two of you, you know, and this friction becomes more and more painful. It's like a stone in your shoe, you know, the more you walk on it, the more painful it becomes. And then he says, and what many people do is that they then, when the friction becomes large enough for them actually to grow, they just run to somebody else or they go to somewhere else and they never experience the full friction to actually make them grow. And this is very interesting. And I'm not saying that open relationships are wrong. I mean, I've been both monogamic and open relationships, but but I'm just saying that there is a trend now in the conscious communities, again, if we say that in brackets, uh, where I think that it's good if we reflect upon our motives for why we are entering the different time. And I think it's really good that we talk about, I mean, we consciously create our relationship how do we want it to be and like what are the borders and all all that we shouldn't just buy the package that we get from hollywood but we should also be careful because sometimes we are solving uh, something (laughs) that we don't want to be solved (laughs) i think this is um your point here is it's um it's fantastic um so so i'm a trained coach and in in coaching at least the type of coaching that i do it's based on the belief that the coach does not have any answers for the person that I'm coaching. It, you know, every, I, as a human being, I, I have my own answers. I have my own journey. I know myself better than anyone else. You know, someone else can never know me better than I can. Um, and that, that brings about a process where it's primarily about asking variations of the question, what is the problem? Yeah. What is the problem actually? What is actually the problem? And why is that a problem? And why is that a problem? <laughs> so you don't you don't go into what is the solution? What is the solution? Mm-hmm. And even when you've sort of identified the problem, then the question becomes more about, okay, so what do you need to do? What's the first thing you're gonna do? What's the second thing? Mm-hmm. So you actually go from problem to process. Mm-hmm. You don't actually speak about solution. I'm just realizing this mm-hmm. now as we speak. And it's the same that you're touching on here that if we look at what the solution first, not knowing what the problem is, that we're not going to solve any problem. But, you know, this became so obvious. Uh, I like to understand things. Understanding is an important value. So when we started working with a dating app, uh, Relate Meet, uh, not the Boost, uh, we started looking at, you know, a lot of people are stuck in this loop of just dating and dating and dating and never getting out of there. And like, what's the problem, you know? And then I started to looking into the psychology of it and I found attachment theory. And of course, like, but oh my God, dating apps, like most of our clients are avoidant in their attachment. So basically we are many times, I mean, some, you could say like, there are two ways of uh, screwing up uh, <laughs> in your relationship either by feeling too much and you become too much emotions, you become too needy, too clinging, uh, too jealous. Everything is such a big thing. It's like the smaller things becomes enormous and so on. Uh, and those people are, of course, vulnerable because, you know, they, they attach very heavily to people. And 
dating is painful for them. Like after they come out of a relationship, they don't want to meet anybody for, yeah. for years, you know? And, and then in a very, like this whole process until you are defined that you're a couple is so painful for them that they want to do it as little as possible. And then you have the other crew, which is thinking too much, quite detached from their emotions. You call them the insecure avoidant mm. attached. And, and this is like 25% of the human population and the 25% are ambivalent. And then you have about 50% that are quite securely attached. And the dating apps are full of the avoidant people. And we're not really solving, I mean, we're making their problem worse by presenting them lots of alternatives each day. Yeah. Like in Tinder, they have this in, in infinite, and they never, they always think that there is somebody else who is better. They usually idealize exes and think, oh, that person was so awesome and mm -hmm. I just screwed it up or she screwed it up or he or whatever, you know? Uh, and when we realize that, my God, we need to work differently here. We need to give them, limit their options. We, we can't give them too many options. We need to help them to have deeper dialogues. But also what we're doing now is we need to have courses with psychologists that help them understand that, oh my God, maybe I'm an avoidant uh, in my attachment style. That's why I'm dating so many people and I never can find the perfect person and so and so. And I need to do some inner work. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to offer both singles and couples. And sometimes we're even doing it all together, seeing this is a course on attachment and how you relate in romantic relationships, no matter if you have a relationship now or not. And doing self-assessments, doing med meditative practices where psychologists are guiding you through different experiences. And that is talking to the problem. And then, of course, there are some people who, of course, thrive and want to be in open relationships. But there are so many who are avoidant in their attachment. Usually you don't feel jealousy as easily. I'm one of those, you know, you're like, you're quite cool. You think, oh, I'm never jealous and blah, blah, blah. It's just that you're not as much in, in touch with your emotions. Mm. And then you come to a solution that is to solve your uh, attachment problems, but not to solve them, but just to like play with the, with, with the same stuff. And then, of course, you can find this out when you're 40 or 50, like, oh, my God, what, what I was doing. Or you could say, like, hey, wait, let's do the actual work on myself that matters and then make a conscious decision. How do I want to build my relationship? Is it an open relationship or, or how, where are our boundaries? And I think it's a very important theme that we don't talk about from a scientific point of view mm. enough in the conscious community because mm. there is so much knowledge that is unfortunately not being used and we are overdoing the experiential, mm. uh, spiritual, or hedonistic, you know, like ecstatic dance. And I love it. I go and dance ecstatically also and just like being sober and dancing. But it's it's just that we also need to integrate the, the other side of it. Yeah. So it's, it comes back to, to honoring what the problem is. What is my challenge? What is my challenge? What are my challenges? What, what is the work I'm currently doing? And in my in the experiences i choose what is actually what am i actually using for that and what is yeah. what am i just using to avoid having to face that challenge and and my very humble opinion here is that it's really hard to do this by yourself yeah it's and it's extremely it's, hard it's it's hard to do it in also uh i mean we need help from our relationships and we need help from professionals if we are to do this in a wise and integral way yeah um Mm. 
this is yeah i could go on for hours obviously but i think let's let's both try to summarize yeah. <laughs> um so what i'm um what i'm taking with me from from this conversation is is this deepened focus and also interest in the in this process both from a, an individual level where i can only speak of of myself of course but in 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 deepening my my journey my process by viewing it as a process by looking at what is when i make when i make a choice when i change directions in life in in whichever way what is then becoming my shadow uh, my shadow side what am i actually avoiding by making that change because i'm constantly avoiding something by making any change if i step to the right i'm avoiding the left right <laughs> and and how can i step to the right without avoiding the left i think that's an interesting question that i'm going to take with me <laughs> and nils again i'm going to just i think that is over the head for most listeners what you're saying i mean it's it, it, it just like where you are most people are not there in their sense making uh so 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 that that is not what i would <laughs> i know so that, but that was my personal okay that was my that's for me personally <laughs> and then for, from from uh, I think, I mean, the only, the other way, uh, the other aspect of the summary for me would be, so I can't summarize for anyone else here. I can't even summarize for humanity. I can only summarize for me. But uh, in my exploration together with my surrounding world and, and, and society would be where my curiosity is taking me based on this, is to explore the work I'm doing and the work I'm doing with others, these initiatives and projects and platforms that we're creating from that perspective how can these platforms facilitate that process for people yeah. so one how is this platform a process not a solution yeah. i think that that becomes very clear clear for me mm. as a result of, of this conversation and how how do we guide and facilitate people through that process yeah. Uh, so that that that's it for me. Thank you for for bringing this up. So, <laughs> Can I try you? to do a yes. summary also that <laughs> might, might make more sense <laughs> <laughs> to a new listener? Uh, so so what I what especially to those of you who identify or are close to conscious communities, I think it's such a beautiful opportunity to realize that the internal world matters, and to give space to it. What I would ask you as a weight of summarizing to reflect upon is how often is this internal experiences a distraction and how often is it what feels as my natural next step to integrate long term in my regular life i mean in this world not in some possible future and here just i would like to recommend three things first of all uh, 29k is a beautiful app that is free of charge uh, by Norge and the Eckhart Foundation. A lot of exercises and processes that you can do and with other people, but that are designed by psychologists with evidence base. And the second part is Eckhart Anywhere are doing beautiful things and courses, also trying to collaborate with uh, scientists uh, and complementing this very beautiful curiosity of spirituality and all this stuff with uh, uh, knowledge and evidence. And the third, of course, uh, if you're single, Relate Meet. And if you're in a couple, check out Relate Date. And please give us feedback because we're early in our stage and we need you guys to uh, help us develop and spread the word.
And Relate Boost. Yes, <laughs> Relate Boost is the is the baby right now that the is being born. born. It's being born. <laughs> <laughs> Deliver it tomorrow. <laughs> Um, thank you. If if anyone beyond these things that you just recommended, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, find more about your work, where can they where can they find that? Uh, check out Artem uh, dot se. Uh, so there is some more information about me and um, the work that I'm doing. And yeah, you can just reach out, and we'll see what happens. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for for coming here yeah. to this living room and this podcast. And thank you, um, I'd like to personally thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. You already know that I think it's amazing and very, very important, but it's, um, it's good to make the implicit explicit and say that out loud. Uh, and also thank you for, for bringing these perspectives. I really learned a lot and found some new ways of um, viewing uh, myself and the world through this conversation. Mm. Thanks, Nils. Thanks for having me. And especially thanks for the world of wisdom. It was the best week of my summer, for sure. So I'm going to be there definitely next time if, if I can. And those of you listeners who haven't checked it out, it, it's a beautiful community where science, spirituality and human development meet. So thanks for doing that. Thank you. And to you guys listening, uh, I usually say check back next week, but I haven't been good at, at keeping that. It's not a commitment. It's an intention. Uh, so, so, so check back for new episodes whenever they come and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye.